Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun on three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? So, welcome back. Here alone, home alone, without Damien again. We decided to pull a fast one and uh, sneak in in his absence. Um, That's not true. We actually, he refused to come. He obviously has better things to do. Too busy, Bigger fish to, fr- bigger yeah, fish to yeah, fry. Yeah, exactly, he's exactly. Probably, he's probably uh, engaging with nicer people. Indeed. But in deference to him, we decided to um, just concentrate solely on our uh, recent visit to Ecuador. Now, that might sound a bit strange, seeing as we've just done a special podcast on Iraq and we're very conscious of the fact that so many people in Ireland in particular are in a really excruciating lockdown. But for us, it's an example of how safe travel is possible uh, with the right precautions. Uh, The world is functioning. We had had to go in order to observe the second round of the Ecuadorian elections, which we've been invited to oversee. There was a lot at stake, so we felt that it was necessary uh, for us to meet uh, that challenge. So... uh, Kick off, what was your first impression on it when we got well, there? Obviously, well, we're only just back, so yeah. we're trying to distill a lot of the information, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, um, <laughs> if anyone thinks it was a holiday, uh, I can assure you that it was far from it. Uh, it takes a, the best part of a day to get there. It takes the best part of a day to get back. We've COVID tests uh, on either end of it. Uh, two, actually, when we come back. And... Uh, one before we came back, one before we went. So it's actually four COVID tests uh, for the trip in total. Um, we we had five very uh, important meetings there, uh, which was were very interesting. And on the day of the election itself, uh, we were out for over 13 hours, uh, going to different polling stations and then going to, to observe the counting uh, in the evening. Um, it was a pretty mad day and... Uh, because, I mean, I suppose we need to give a background uh, to the candidates and kind of explain what they stand for, uh, what they don't stand for, uh, how the first round went uh, two months ago and uh, how this round went. Um, so it's, it's a, there's a, a lot uh, involved and um, we shouldn't be presumptuous uh, that and take things for granted as to what people know or don't know. So uh, we better go back yeah. to, the, to the start uh, with the first campaign, I think. The first ele- in, in most uh, elections in South America, they have two rounds. And the first and second go into the second round um, in most countries. And mm. it's an unusual system. Uh, is it good? Is it better than ours? It's debatable. I'm not, I don't, we don't really know yet. Uh, I, I, you'd... Uh, probably it, it merits research, all right. Um, just before I go off the subject of COVID, though, I have to say, do you know what? I didn't see one person 
in the whole of Ecuador in four days that we were there not wearing a mask. I never seen such compliance anywhere. Well, I think and we've yeah. seen, we've been to a few places. I think that is important to say, and not just wearing them, but wearing them covering your nose and your mouth. Um, even the fellas selling cigarettes on the street will spray the packet of cigarettes with sanitizer before they sell it to you. If they give you a pen, they'll spray it with sanitizer. Taxi drivers, everything. The COVID um, public health. Um, sanitation levels are incredibly high, the likes of which we haven't seen anywhere and else. I, I paid for a coffee on uh, on Tuesday morning and she sprayed the note. I gave her a $5 note. As the, the currency is actually in dollars, um, which is actually linked to one of the, to, to the candidate that won the election because uh, the country went broke in 1999 and Lasso was the person responsible for it and he actually won the election this weekend, unfortunately. But anyway, we'll get to that. But uh, I paid five dollars, and the 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 girl at the cash desk she sprayed at both sides and and sprayed the note that she gave me back. Mm. And I think one of the reasons for that is probably that Ecuador was one of the hardest hit in the world this uh, round this time last year. There were the horrific um, pictures of bodies literally lined up on the streets because the hospitals couldn't deal with it and neither could the morgues or the system. So they've corrected a lot of it since then and brought in a lot of measures. But it was at a very heavy price. Um, yeah, but and that was directly linked to the fact as well, though, that uh, their health system had been decimated uh, mm. in the last couple of years uh, with right wing policies uh, when they after they got rid of Korea. Mm. But uh, that's another lot of Story. Yeah, but I mean, this, I suppose the summary is it's a, an important country in uh, South America. It's considered a middle income country, a country of about 18 million people. And as Mick was saying there, um, we need to look at the first round of elections. So uh, the fir- in the first round of elections, the uh, candidate Andrea Saraus, who came from the party of Rafael Correa, who would be seen as the kind of the left wing, uh, party had received about 32% of the vote with the opposing candidates Lasso, who was the right wing big banker uh, candidate and a candidate, uh, Yaku Perez, who was deemed and lauded in the West as an indigenous leader and actually isn't really. Uh, we'll talk about him maybe in a little bit, but both of them nearly got the same percentage of votes. Actually, there was a problem electorally in that the Electoral Council at various stages announced the two of them as the runner-up. And that would cause a huge problem because you have to be the second candidate to get into the second round. And there was a bit of dispute around that. So the whole um, examination of the functioning of the electoral uh, position was under public scrutiny. But in any case, it was deemed that Lasso was, had pipped uh, Yaku Perez into uh, second place and he was the one to contest the final round. And the elections were held uh, on Sunday, the 11th of April there. I suppose uh, the left-wing candidate, Arouse, went into it uh, with a head start. The opinion polls for the intervening period would have generally shown him being in the lead. We had a meeting with his team the day before the election and they were probably quite confident. We felt that they were, while the outcome was going to be tight, that they were going to win the election. They were very concerned about maybe some irregularities, particularly around the use of the media and the use of private opinion polls to create an impression that there was a groundswell for Lasso uh, and then, you know, laying the basis for a kind of a claim of fraud later on. Now, that didn't come to pass. In actual fact, Lasso won quite comfortably 
He won the election with 53% up against 47% for Arouse, with a very significant story being the 16% spoilt votes and the fact that 17% of people stayed away. So with the result that we have 33% of the Ecuadorian people didn't vote for either candidate. So it's a pretty uh, divided uh, scenario, even though it was a comfortable victory, and we'd have to say the election was fairly run. So, what do you think, Mick, in terms of like what happened and why maybe the left wing group miscalculated, but also maybe we need to deal with how the election was run because we were over to observe it. And I suppose the the good part of the story is the election was very fair and transparent and well run. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I've observed the elections in Bolivia, Venezuela and now Ecuador in the last two years and the system is pretty similar in all three countries and I found the system really good, fair and transparent in all three countries. There's actually such a, 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 a good system. A person comes in to the polling booth and they produce their identity card and the this person sitting at the first table, table number one, uh, reads out, says, okay, you're on the list and your number is this. So the others take down the number. Uh, Then the person goes to the second table, picks up the ballot paper and goes uh, behind a screen where they can vote in private. They then put the the sheet into a box. Then they go over to table number three and they sign a form uh, with their identity number and the number they were given uh, when they picked up, before they picked up the ballot paper and then they move to table four where in actual fact on the table table four there's a, a person with a book with a picture of every ID card of everyone that's eligible to vote in that room and it's generally about 350 per room and the fact that it has all broken down into small sections like for example we went into one school where there was actually over 80 different rooms but the maximum number that was allowed to vote in any of the rooms was 350 so uh, the 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 picture of your ID card then was uh, torn out of this book and you signed the same book, a sheet behind it, and you brought it away with you. Obviously, so it stops anyone from, not only does it stop anyone from voting twice, but also because it's obligatory to vote in nearly all South American countries, and obviously in Ecuador as well, uh, you get, you, you literally, it costs you money not to vote. And in Ecuador, it's $40. So you can't avail of any state services without having your identity card renewed each year. And if there's been an election and you haven't voted in it, they won't give you a new identity card without you parting with $40 if you fail to vote on the day. Now, if you're over 65 you're, or you have a, 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 a health cert, a medical cert from a doctor or a hospital uh, to the effect that you couldn't travel, then you get an exemption. But... Uh, so anyway, normally nearly everybody that can votes uh, because $40 is a lot of money in a country like this. Uh, but as Claire pointed out at the start, uh, on this occasion, uh, something like, was it 17%, 17%, 17% stayed, away, yeah. stayed away, which was uh, probably the biggest figure ever for them. Now, 
uh, as to why 16% spoiler votes, which was it's, it's probably ne- never happened before either, actually it goes back to the, f- the day of the first election two months ago when there was three main candidates. There was Lasso, the, the far right wing fella, and then you have Aruz, who was the left wing guy from the Korea uh, movement. And then you had this Yaku Perez, who stood for the indigenous community, but he presented himself as an environmentalist. Now, anyone that thought uh, he was presented in Europe as well as a progressive force, but he actually supported the military coup in Bolivia. He has been uh, he has supported Guaido in Venezuela. And it turned out that he actually got his finance to run the election from the Americans. So that would raise red flags uh, for a lot of people. Well, yeah, no, and I, I, mean, I think we should tease this out a bit more about what's going on in the indigenous community and has the left party lost its base there or what has it made mistakes? What does it need uh, to do there? But just first, before we go on to that, I mean, just finishing off the point on how the election was conducted. I mean, it is incredibly fair. And if you look at the... Uh, I suppose the delays that often take place in counts in Ireland and that the beauty of this system is that in every single room where the ballots take place, the ballots are opened there in the presence of representatives of all of the parties and us, the international observers were divided out where the 350 people who voted in that box, they first of all count how many ballots haven't been used. They match that then with the numbers that should have voted and they cross-reference those and then they divide them out between who voted for what candidate. The score is put up on the wall and everybody can see it. They sign off on the sheet. That sheet is then each of the sheets from each of the rooms in that area is then scanned into per, um, the national head voting headquarters, which means that you had the result really very early on, but you also have a very um, broken down record of the voting in each area. So any discrepancies later on can be re-examined. I think it's a brilliant model and something that we should look at in Ireland, including uh, compulsory voting, which we think is pretty good as well. Yeah, and... I think that I thought was great as well. I mean, it was so transparent. I mean, we were in the rooms and we, and we were all in different rooms, right? And watching what happened. And it was just so transparent and everything was so accountable. And if, for example, you might say, well, okay, that's grand. Uh, everything is good uh, as long as you can see. But then if it goes back to the headquarters, maybe that's where the shenanigans could start. But in actual fact, every single voting paper is kept. They're all filed by room. So there's not a maximum of 350 in any bag. It's unbelievable. And so everything is traceable. Uh, so that if, for example, there was fraud suspected, it would be easy to recount, to bring in an independent body and to just count everything again. But as Claire said, I mean, the result, I mean, you, you have an idea what, uh, how long it takes for the things to be counted at home. The election stopped at five o'clock. Now, voting stop. It started at seven in the morning and it stopped, ended at five in the afternoon, in the evening. And by eight o'clock, uh, we had the result. Mm. Um, uh, and, and I mean, if, if this is a paper vote. It wasn't a electronic yeah. vote. It's no. a paper vote. And to have the result within three hours in a, with a population of around 17 million. I mean, it's incredible. And it's brilliant as well. Like there was about 39,000 polling stations and like the left party and that had been saying that they had activists to cover about 30,000 of them. So you're talking about huge 
I suppose, grassroots party activism in trying to cover all these polling stations. But each of those party reps can observe the opening of each box if they had everybody in each station and they get a copy of the vote in paper, like I've the one from my station, of the one. Uh, so each party, they could add them up. So it's foolproof. There can't be any tampering oh, yeah. later on. Not only that, mm. but the uh, the member from each of the party for, mm. me, for each candidate actually signs mm. that, that they're well. actually OK with how the count yeah. was done yeah. and that the count is accurate. Because you can actually count. I, I counted every single vote in the room I was in. It actually turned out there was 299 eligible to vote in the room that I was in for the counts. 53 didn't turn up. And as it turned out, there was about, I'd say... 47 or 8 of them were oldish people so they wouldn't actually be fined but there was a phenomenal amount of spoiled votes and these were linked to Jaco Perez um, so just to go uh, to go back to that well, yeah, so well, we're getting started on that. I was the last thing I was going to say about the fair elections that we were struck on because we talked about it was the role of the police and the army now, like many Latin and South American countries, actually the arming is, army has a very high standing amongst the population and uh, this was no exception. We saw the uh, actions of the army who uh, guarded the polling stations, but they were really helpful and the police as well. Like it was a bit slow to start in some of the areas. They'd uh, help the, the electoral workers there. They were helping shepherd people in and out, keeping the queues going because at some stages in the morning, really by about eight o'clock in the morning, there was about hundreds of people assembling in uh, various polling stations. So I think that's an important point to make as well, that they did play a good and open role in that, you know. Yeah, and they were very helpful with uh, with any older people that needed mm. assistance. There mm. were uh, anyone that was disabled uh, was was helped. And of course, obviously, you're going to talk about the the issue about, about the disabled maybe no. voting. But uh, <laughs> I'm not. No, no, it, it was just there was a special section yeah. for it, and. Um, there was just a little anomaly about how yeah. the vote was moved from the uh, the uh, disabled section to the back into the into the room. But uh, in fairness, given that the army were actually doing the transfer, mm. and they were really good. And, and the police what really well. struck me mm. about the army and police was uh, on the day anyway. I, I don't know what they're like normally, but it was it was really an element of service mm. uh, rather than. Playing the role of authority, which we're which we're kind of used to, especially with police, um, and too often mm. draconian. But yeah. it was the, the army were uh, incredibly uh, facilitating and kind and mm. uh, just and really friendly and uh, and very helpful. So I suppose way. the big question for us is, given that we've said it's a fair uh, election, how can we explain the fact that in a country where certain numbers of people told us maybe 50% of the population are in poverty. How could they elect with a strong margin um, a vicious right wing, um, as you say, former banker who ruins the economy and not only elect him, but will elect him with a certain amount of a campaign behind him that this is heralding something fresh and new for Ecuador. H how could that be? And, and what do we think is happening there? <laughs> we can do our own versions of what we think. Well, look, I mean, to be honest, we've a good bit to learn about it still, but mm. uh, we obviously learned a lot while we were there. Yeah. But uh, Lasso was mm. uh, actually running the country in 1999 when... Uh, they, they literally, the country went broke and they had to abandon their own currency 
and the dollar, the US dollar became the national currency. And that was all down to Lasso's uh, policies um, at the time. Now, this guy will be neoliberal. He'll be far right wing. He will not serve the interest of the poor. He will promote US uh, investment interest uh, in the country. And he will uh, favour uh, the rich at the expense of the people who, who most need uh, uh, his, their help. But in actual fact, I mean, you'd say, then, how in God's name did it happen? Well, the media played a massive role by all accounts. And first of all, Lasso had uh, deep pockets. He was able to spend millions and millions on an election campaign. And he had the full support of the mainstream media. I mean, look, at, I mean, the mainstream media tend to... Uh, Back up the uh, the established parties, um, no matter where you are, really, uh, because mainstream media are kind of are generally con- controlled by either by the state or by money people. So, so, like for example, in Ireland, there's little doubt, but RTE uh, protect uh, Finnegale and Shin Fe- and fin- Gael and Fianna Fáil morning, noon, and night, and they tolerate uh, the likes of the Greens. Right? But um, uh, in Ecuador. Um, by all accounts, uh, the media done a real good job on Arus, mm. the left-wing candidate. Uh, there was a television debate, which turned out to be seemingly very significant. And uh, from what we've heard, the, the debate was kind of 50-50. Mm. It was a kind of a slanging match a bit, and uh, but no one really won it. But the media made out that, he, uh, that Lasso had won it 100%. And they... They sold that story uh, to the people uh, very much in the last couple of weeks. And another thing that was used very much against uh, Aruz and in favour of Lasso was, uh, do you want to be like Venezuela? Mm. Uh, do you want Ecuador to turn into a Venezuela? Uh, because Venezuela has huge problems, but they obviously weren't explaining the fact that Venezuela has huge problems because of US sanctions, which um, so unfortunately e- the EU also supports. And they've decimated the country with the sanctions. Uh, it isn't Maduro that's decimating Venezuela. It's the US and sadly Europe. Uh, but uh, obviously the media used this as a stick against the ruse and uh, in favour of Lasso. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you're totally right in that we probably have more questions than answers at this stage for, after the visit. And I mean, you're also undoubtedly right that Lasso is going to unleash uh, vicious uh, neoliberal economic policies which are not going to benefit the uh, Ecuadorian people. And actually, he revealed and one of the first things he did was to recognise Juan Guaido, the unelected gobshite, as Mick calls him, in uh, Venezuela, signalling, if you like, that what side of the block in South America he's going to be. So he's not going to align himself, obviously, with the progressive forces, but is going to be a puppet of the US. But we have to see it in the context of what's the government that's there. And it's the hated Lenin Moreno, who had been the deputy of Rafael Correa in the left wing, the previous left-wing government in uh, Ecuador, people will remember that at that time Correa and his government were the ones who gave sanctuary to Julian Assange in the embassy and played a hugely important international role and had made some efforts and or well they've made a lot of efforts but with some degree varying degrees of success in terms of addressing some of the inequality in that society but interestingly 
uh, Correa and his legacy was a huge part of this issue as well. And we spoke to different people about it. So some people told us that the maintaining the link with Correa had been the reason why Andrea Sararus had done so well and well had got the 32% in the first round and that the party changed tack in the second round and watered down the association with Correa whereas other people said it was the association with Correa that had been damaging to Sararus and that they needed to develop a different uh, identity coming from the party so there's, there's quite a lot of division there uh, around those issues yeah, and now while Correa was very popular uh, when he was there and won a couple of elections um, and uh, made great strides in tackling inequality in the country, um, at the same time, um, I think he, the fact that, the fact that they organised a sort of a coup against him uh, uh, through the lawfare, uh, through the judicial, judicial system, uh, charges were brought against Correa back in uh, 2017. And uh, he was literally kind of run out of the country. And um, there was something like 40 court cases that, that went on and they were heavily publicised just to damage the people's movement. And... Uh, Korea is actually exiled in Brussels right now, and he, if he goes back to Ecuador, he'll be arrested. But Korea, obviously, and I mean, we met him a couple of times here in Brussels, but he claims that the, that the charges were fabricated against him. Now we don't know the details of it. Uh, we 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 do need to learn more about but, it. But what, what I what I was struck by though was that we met people uh, of all persuasions of all different classes, some of them who love Korea and some of them who hate them. I mean, it was a mixed bag. Yeah. And we had two very good meetings uh, uh, after the election uh, on Monday and Tuesday with two different members of the indigenous community. Now, all the indigenous people uh, would have voted for Yaku Perez uh, in the first ballot. Uh, which was just under 20%. It was 19.3%. Well, uh, okay. okay. Well, okay, most of them did anyway, <laughs> right? But, uh, so the Indigenous community uh, are a big vote. Uh, but when we met the two different members of the Indigenous community, uh, who, one of them was in Parliament and uh, the other one was even a more powerful figure. He was the head of one of the main organisations. Um, but we got a different story from both of them mm. as to who Korea was and... One of them adored him and the other guy said that when Correa was in power, he, uh, he he distanced himself from a lot of the indigenous people by uh, different actions that he took, which they disagreed with. And some, some of the indigenous people claimed that Correa didn't treat them well and didn't look after their interests, whereas the other guy claimed otherwise. So yeah, it's hard and to know where I mean, the truth lies. And there is a thing, I mean, the points you were making about lawfare and the legal action against Correa, and people should remember that the same thing was done with Lula in Brazil, the leader of the Workers' Party, who was imprisoned and prevented from running, uh, given basically then the, the presidency to, to Bolsonaro. But he has been absolutely, not to mind what did he spend a load of time in prison, but he's been absolutely vindicated now that that was completely trumped up. And it's absolutely the case that there is huge persecution political persecution in Ecuador with hundreds of activists being under political um, 
prosecution, if you like, and persecution. I mean, we met with the governor, governor of an area, a very good woman who'd been elected to represent her community in an area of Quito, and then we and an indigenous leader. And then we noticed that the two of them had electronic tags on their legs because they'd been released from prison only in the last number of months. They'd been arrested, so-called, for rebellion and uh, their cases were pending and many, many cases are pending. So this is a tactic by the vicious Ecuadorian state to undermine activists and those trying to represent the interests of ordinary people. There's a lot of indigenous people awaiting prosecution as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, her crime was that she was really active in the people's movement. Mm. And I mean, you should see this huge big steel uh, brace on her ankle. Uh, about four inches tall mm. and it's on, she can't move it off. It has to stay there morning, noon and mm. night and uh, she has to carry it around everywhere. Uh, I mean, it's just madness. This is the right? elected mayor I mean, of a, a city. Uh, so yeah. one, of the, one of the big questions now is whether the persecutions will stop mm. or will they continue? Will there be, um, will Lasso, uh, you know, take a different tact than than Lenin Moreno, mm. uh, because Lenin Moreno, uh, the persecutions uh, were dramatic under him, and so many people were being imprisoned and totally uh, without foundation. A lot of it. Yeah, and I think it's important to say that the program that Lasso ran the election on was very much not of brutal, naked neoliberal capitalism. He actually tried to present himself as a modern leader of a modern. Ecuador that could be part of the first world. So his huge amount of propaganda was loads of videos with young people, with indigenous people, with the feminist movement, with the LGBT community. It was all about building. So it all sounded like really nice stuff presented, really cute and colourful with huge big um, PR companies behind him. He also had in the debate, he'd had this mantra that they'd obviously polished, stop lying Andreas, stop lying Andreas and this became a hashtag and they were doing this big hashtag campaigns. But that said, we did see a lot of Ecuadorian young people who were active in Lasso's campaign. We saw them in the polling stations and it'll be interesting to see because these people bought the lie that he represents a new Ecuador, not actually the brutal face of of neoliberal Ecuador. So how he packages that and what he does is interesting. But we need to go back to the indigenous community because um, it is true that there there's divisions there. Uh, I wouldn't say all the indigenous community voted for Jaco Perez. I mean, actually, both sides of, of the people we met made the point that Jaco Perez is a relatively new uh, figure on the indigenous scene, as it were, that there are... Uh, deep-rooted social organisations representing the indigenous community and Jaco Perez is not from that sector. He is a member of Pachacuti, which is the political party representing the, the indigenous community. But there's a feeling on all sides that he has manoeuvred himself, if you like, or the sort of right wing have manoeuvred into a certain position inside that organisation, uh, which is probably true. But the other side is, is that the left wing have probably not done enough on environmental issues. And as you said, Mick, have been not attentive enough to indigenous uh, issues either, like they made the points that more mining was um, carried out under well, Korea. It, and he increased it. Yeah. And listen, there's a big debate to be had. Uh, when you have a poor country like that, um, it's all very well for us in Europe to say, oh, uh, you shouldn't be doing anything that's un- environmentally mm. unfriendly. Uh, but in actual fact, the, the countries from the global south 
are not the ones who have caused the environmental damage. It's the the, the north, uh, the developed north is is where all the environmental damage has been done. And now, uh, obviously, there's uh, if the mining that Korea was sanctioning, if it was being done to um, improve the health and education and uh, housing provision and whatever for the, the the general population of Ecuador, well, you would say you could make an argument for it. Uh, provided that that's where the money was going. But if it was foreign nationals like the Canadians and the Americans coming in, uh, or the Chinese or the Russians or whoever, but it's mostly Canadians and Americans down there, if they're the ones actually benefiting from it and that there's only a, a token uh, benefit for the state, then obviously it's completely wrong. But I mean, listen, most mining at this stage uh, is damaging to the people's health, the health of the environment, and uh, it needs, a lot of it needs to be stopped. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you are right to make that point because I think I, I would have no hesitation in saying that I think Korea most definitely tried and the record of Korea's government showed attempts to reduce the inequality and so on. That doesn't mean to say that they may have made mistakes or whatever, but they were also the victims of brute oppression. And I can't remember the story that you told Andrea Arous the night before the election about what needed to be done, your football story. But I think after the election result, it was even more relevant for them going forward. So will you remind me what it was? Because I can't remember now. I, I will, yeah. Um, it's... Um I, I asked him if if he was interested in football, so he said he was right. But so yeah, I didn't get the impression. I know I, did, I, I wasn't. Fan, I, no, I wasn't no, convinced. No, I, no, either, me right? either, no. But anyway, yeah. uh, I was just saying that the fact that uh, it's a people's movement. He's working for the 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 poorer sections of society. He's trying to tackle inequality. Uh, it does mean that he won't have the support of the media. He won't have the support of big business. He won't have the support of the Americans or the EU. Uh, so it's a big challenge and you're up against it. And uh, no, no matter how good your story is, no matter how good a leader uh, that you're capable of being, uh, you're, you're, you're actually uh, fighting against mighty powerful forces who have uh, great potential to undermine your chances of getting elected and uh, like w one of the reasons that uh, Jaco Perez got elected was that he had he got he had access to an awful lot of funding and seemingly a lot of it came from uh, what's called uh, the National Endowment for Democracy now the National Endowment for Democracy it's often called NED it it's a uh, it's like it's a regime change arm of the American state. It's, like, it's really a, a a wing of the CIA uh, of the Americans, and it's designed to help organisations who challenge uh, the left wing and who promote right wing policies and promote uh, American interest in the region. And I mean, we actually have them in Europe as well, and they're called the European Endowment for Democracy. And the um, 
the European Endowment for Democracy uh, are promoting uh, protest, uh, financing some of the protest movements in Belarus at the moment. Uh, while we're not fans of Lukashenko, uh, we don't approve of Western interference and uh, because that's what it is now. And they're only interested in Belarus because it's on the Russian border. But that's what the European Endowment for Democracy does. It's, it's a wing of the National Endowment uh, for Democracy, uh, which is the American version, and they operate all over the world. Um, but uh, they gave huge support to Jaco Perez um, and obviously you'll find that uh, they would been very much on the side of Lasso against Arus. They went to great lengths to make sure that Arus uh, wouldn't become the president of Ecuador and uh, the night we were with Arus before the election uh, I told him that his position uh, for someone uh, from the left uh, running um, against mighty forces like Lasso or against the money that uh, Jakub Perez was given. Uh, I said, it's always challenging. I said, and the same challenge actually exists in Europe. Um, but I said, it's a bit like in, in football parlance. I said, it's like a, a small club uh, paying, playing against uh, the, 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 the big club that wins most of the things all the time. The club with the money, it's always difficult to actually beat them. And you have to be a good bit better than them uh, to actually uh, end up winning. Uh, they get the breaks. The referees are actually uh, very often afraid to go against them. And um, it's you just have to be that bit better uh, if you're going to get a clean win. And I said that I said to Arouz, uh, you're going to need uh, a, a, an extra bit of support from the people to actually become the clear winner. Because if it's any way close, uh, I said, you may struggle to be declared the winner. I just thought, well, I mean, the next day after the result, I thought that was even more relevant because, you know, they're good people. He seems like a really nice guy who's trying. He's a young economist. The people around him have, you know, great hopes for the future. But they're going to have to go now and rebuild the movement and be better than the ones who are there. And that's the task posed in front of them. And we were obviously disappointed by the election results. We can only imagine how bad they feel, but there's no way around it other than going back to the grassroots and rebuilding up that support and being ready for the next time. So we obviously wish them all the best in that and we'll do what we can here to champion their cause. I think it's significant as well that... Um I would say in on on the election last Sunday, um, I think a lot of the young people uh, from uh, various backgrounds uh, actually voted for Lasso. Um, uh, the, he probably managed maybe to come across as the more progressive, even though this guy is over seventy years of age and he has not only far right wing uh, uh, political philosophy. Uh, in his war chest up to this date and the idea that he's going to be progressive now is probably nonsense but he sold that story well through the media and uh, a lot of the young people um, mm. believed it and went out and voted for him um, and I mean it, it is it's crazy to think of poor people and poor young people actually going out and voting for Lasso who will not serve their interest I mean it's scary stuff really Mm. But yeah, I think it's how he implements that program and how they react is the way forward. So look, at we wish them all the best. We'll continue. The EU is supposedly the biggest donor or contributor in uh, 
Ecuador and has a lot of important links there. So we'll be very much keeping an eye on this country going forward. So we will await to, for Damien's happy return <laughs> next time, uh, where we will next time most definitely go back to our tour of European countries where we have France outstanding at the moment. So as they say in Ecuador, adios. Good luck.